If you've ever been on a, uh, perhaps a missions trip, or you've been on, on a camp that runs for a long time, or, or some kind of adventure, have you ever noticed how on the last night of that particular camp or trip, something special and unique happens with the group of people that you are with? Those of you who have been on high school camp every year know what I'm talking about. You've got a whole week with this particular group or this team, and there's the tensions that sometimes happen, and you wonder if you're going to survive the week. And then on the last night of the last day, everyone all of a sudden loves each other. <laughs> and it is something really special. And you like to look back over your time a little bit and reflect on how great that week's been, and you've forgotten about the difficult moments. You get all sentimental and you realise, I really do love these people. Even though it wasn't always like that. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Oh, that's good. Well, as we approach Easter, we find this similar moment in the life of Jesus and his disciples. In the Gospel of John, he gives us quite a detailed account of the last few days of the Passion Week. And there's this moment from chapter, about chapter 13 to 16 where there's an extended sharing from Jesus and he brings some very insightful revelation about himself and God's kingdom and what he asks of his followers. You know, it's, it's lengthy, but it's a powerful sermon which covers three chapters. We're not going to do all of that this morning, but just to give you a quick summary, within those, those three chapters there's a promise of a reward for faithfulness and a place in God's eternal house that he's preparing for us. There's a reminder that the only way to, to God is through him, through Jesus. There's a promise of the Holy Spirit after he leaves. There's a reminder that if you love Jesus, you will obey his commands. There's one sentence, one verse in there that says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. It's a powerful message to abide in Jesus. And you know, you've probably heard a lot of sermons from John 15 about this idea of the vine and the branches and how we should stay connected. There's a warning about how difficult it will be to be a true follower of Jesus in, in a world that has rejected him. And then there's encouragement to not fall away in those difficult times. There's a prediction about what's going to happen to him on the cross but also a reminder to look beyond that with joy to the resurrection. And finally, there is a prediction that the disciples will be scattered and persecuted for their faith, which is not really a nice way to, to finish off, right? But that's what was in there. And then Jesus prays. And that brings us to chapter 17. And this is an amazing prayer. It's the whole chapter. So over the next, this Sunday and the next, we're going to uh, read through this whole prayer. But be warned, because Jesus prays about a lot of things in this prayer. <clears throat> I'm not sure if John got it word for word, but he definitely hit all the key points that Jesus would have prayed. <clears throat> it can be tempting to rush through it, but if you do that, you'll miss something that's really important, because this long prayer... It really does, uh, it gives us a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. And that's what I want us to consider as we read through today and next week. Who here wants to know what's important to the heart of Jesus? Me too. 
So we're going to read it now and we're going to consider what it means and how it can apply to us. Of course, I'm not going to be able to preach on all the things that Jesus talks about, but some things that I felt like he wanted me to bring to you today and next week. You've got to keep in mind that we are in the, uh, the shadow of the cross. It's right here upon him. He knows what's before him, and yet the prayer he prays, it doesn't m mention deliverance from his persecutors or from the suffering that's to come, which when you think about it is amazing. You know what's ahead of you. If you're Jesus, you know what's about to happen the very next day onwards. And he doesn't pray about that. He prays about us, actually, and a bunch of other things. We catch a glimpse of Jesus' intimate relationship with his father, and there's something in there about what his mission was about and his concerns and his hopes. We see a heart that's concerned primarily with the Father's glory. We see a heart that is concerned with the unity and effectiveness of the church and his followers, his disciples. And it revolves around the love for each other. And last, we see a real heart for people, both in this time and down through the ages. So... If you've got a Bible, you can follow along with me. It'll be on the screen behind me. We're in John chapter 17. Here we go. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. It's kind of odd that Jesus is talking in the, uh, the third person here, really, isn't it? But I think that he was just making sure we knew who he was referring to in these verses. That's my take on it anyway. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. It's to know you. Notice he doesn't say to know of you. It's to know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, give me, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, and I know that it came from you, and they believed you sent me. So here's the thing. <clears throat> As I was reading these first eight verses, and I was wondering, what's the glimpse of Jesus' heart? What do I see here? The first thing I see, and this is the only point for today, and we'll move on to more next week, is the heart of Jesus was for completing the task his father gave him to do. Above all else, bringing glory to his father was always at the heart of Jesus, and he brought glory to God by doing the work he gave him to do. His heart was burning hot for the mission that God had given him because it brought glory to God. It's right there in verse 4. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. His love for his father 
was above all, and it was revealed in his actions and his words, and nothing would stop him doing what God sent him to do. His mission was to glorify his Father, and to do that, it was to complete the task that he had given him. People tried to kill him by pushing him off a cliff. People tried to have him arrested. They shouted him down. They caused his family to flee to another country. They ridiculed him. They started false rumors about him. They conspired against him. They reported him to the Roman authorities. They stalked him. They betrayed him. They denied him. The devil tempted him. And, of course, eventually they crucified him. But through all that, Jesus' heart never wavered for his father's mission for him here on earth. All the obstacles and challenges in the world, and they were big, bigger than we will probably never experience, did not stop him. He wanted to bring glory to his Father through his death, life, and resurrection, and he did. He healed the sick, he turned water to wine, he calmed the wind and the waves, and he had compassion for all those on the margins in particular. He saved a prostitute from being stoned. He went to dinner... The Bible calls them with notorious sinners. He spoke up for the children. He gathered ordinary fishermen together to teach them, just ordinary ones, and to launch the church. He rebuked the legalistic religious leaders. He showed us how to pray. He told us to love our enemies. He said, you should sell your possessions if there's someone else in need. He commanded us to never take revenge but to turn the other cheek. And if someone takes, you know, your shirt, then give them your cloak also, or is it the other way around? He gave us gifts to, to use to serve the church and the kingdom. He told us to welcome people into our homes and to visit people in prison. He required of us to care for the orphan and the widow. He urged us to love God and to love others as the top priority. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what comes first. He instituted baptism and communion, and he, he, of course, died in our place. He broke with the cultural norms, and he, he trusted the women to announce his resurrection from the grave. That was a big deal at that time. He adopted us into his family as his children. He commanded us to tell the world about him. He called us his friend. And that is just a small sample of how Jesus completed the task the Father set for him. And this moment on the, that, that we're reading about on the Thursday night before Good Friday, you know, it's almost, this prayer is almost like mission accomplished. When God calls us to do his will, we set about the task, I believe, with the same zeal and determination that Jesus did. Because when Jesus did it, it changed the world. And we have uh, the gifts and the calling to do the same thing. This is why I get so fired up about the church. God has given me and you a job to do. It's us. God, think about it for a second, has given us a job. You know what it's like when you go for an interview and you don't get it? That's disappointing. You've been to the interview and you got the job. Isn't that an amazing privilege? 
The church is God's plan to connect the world to him through the gospel. And we have a mission to reach our city with the good news of Jesus. And just like Jesus, nothing should divert us from that purpose. You know, me personally, I want to strive more and more to match that passion that Jesus had for completing the task that God laid out before him. And I want to do it for God's glory, but it's not just me. We're all here in this church today because God has called us all here. I'm not the only one that was called to this church, by the way. You guys were too. We're here to fulfill the mission he has for us and to do it with the same, to do it with the same heart and passion that Jesus had. The same heart and passion that Jesus had. Jesus was all in for this task that the Father had sent him to do. Kind of reminds me of, um, you know, the, the game of poker where you can go all in. You, you, you move everything in and you, you're kind of putting everything on the line and you hold nothing back. You put all your chips on the table. It's a bit like that for us. Here's the thing. If we want to complete the task Jesus had for us, all in means he can't be lukewarm. The passion for Jesus has to run hot in your veins to achieve his task. If our love of Jesus is lukewarm, the success of our mission will be lukewarm. The two work together. And I want to stand before Jesus one day and hear those words like he said in Matthew 25. When he says, said to the servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, thankfully, uh, we are not the church in Laodicea here, but we should take note of the warning that Jesus gave them in Revelation chapter 3. He says, I know the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were one or the other, but since... You are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. These words always grab me. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, when you get a coffee from the shop and you put it on your desk and you forget that it's there for a while and you get distracted by your work and you come back and it's just barely lukewarm. What do you want to do with it? You want to spit it out, right? It's, it doesn't taste that good. doesn't taste good to me. Maybe you're all sitting there going, what's the problem? <laughs> a lukewarm zeal really doesn't taste any good to anyone. And unfortunately, it, it doesn't have a good taste to Jesus either. I'm really sorry. These are his words to the church. I don't want to have to say them. Yes, his grace is more powerful than our lukewarmness. It is. But wouldn't we rather our faith be hot and useful to God's mission and in a sense taste good to him? Isn't that what we would rather have? At the end of my life, I want to pray that same prayer as Jesus. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You know, maybe it's Towards the end, I've become an old man and I know that my time is close and that's the prayer I want to pray. 
when Jesus says to repent, he didn't say do it half-heartedly because that's not the meaning of the word repent. It's a complete 100% change of direction. It's supposed to be a new heart and a new life in Jesus. That's what repent means. There's really no such thing as part-time Christianity or an occasional Sunday Christian. It's all in for God. All in. Because Jesus went all in. If Jesus would go all in for God's glory, then we do too. The vast majority of us, of us wouldn't have to give our, our life in the way that he did. Although, you know, some people do still. And yet at the same time, we're called to give our life over and have a new life in Jesus for his glory. When we go all in, when we live that life in Jesus, then we bring glory to him. And church, that's the goal of a follower of Jesus. That's what we're about. That's what we think about every day, to bring him glory through the life that we live. You know, next week, we're going to look further into this prayer and at two more points, and it reveals more of the heart of Jesus. But I want to leave you today with this single point gleaned from this prayer. Jesus has a passionate and unwavering heart for his Father and therefore his Father's will for him. The heart of every follower is to have the heart of Jesus. The same passions, the same convictions, and more importantly, the same perfect love that Jesus had for God and for people. This is the whole uh, purpose of holiness and sanctification is this idea that we would have that perfect love that Jesus would have it glorifies God, a pure heart that hates sin and that loves God and others like he does. And I looked at this prayer and I wondered how I could pray the same prayer as Jesus. And I guess I thought, I can't yet. Because I'm yet to finish what God has called me to do. I'm not at my mission accomplished moment. But my love for God moves me to want to do it more, to complete the task he has given me. My task is to lead the church to connect with the thousands of lost people around us here. And so is yours. So you know what, church? I'm 45, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting older, because I am. That's a stupid thing to say. I am getting older. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I feel like time's starting to pass me by. I don't want to waste any more time. I've spent my life in the church. I've seen it through good times and bad times, and I believe we're in good times. In fact, great times. I think we're seeing new fruit. I also believe we're on the verge of a new harvest. And I don't want to muck around. I want to complete the task God has given us. Now, if I sound frustrated, I'm not. I'm hungry. I'm hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. I'm hungry to see the church be all that God is calling the church to be. Hungry to see more lives made new in Jesus' name. Hungry to see people put God first and go all in for him. So the question for each of us today is this. What's the task that Jesus has given you to complete? I mean specifically... You, 
Because in general, God is calling all of us to live that, you know, that sanctified life I talked about, that one that reflects God to other people. There is no doubt about that because you'll read it from cover to cover in the Bible that this is the kind of person God is calling you to be. When you repent and you go all in for him, you reflect Jesus to people. The words you say, the th things that you think, the things you look at, the way you love people, that's the call for all people. We see it in the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of us. We know the Holy Spirit is working within us by the fruit that comes out and how other people can see it. But I ask you to consider specifically what is the task God is asking you to complete? Here's some thoughts, just some ideas that I've got for you. Because for some of you here, God's calling you to vocational ministry. That's not vacational ministry, by the way. <laughs> I haven't yet seen that job, although I'm willing to apply. <laughs> vocational ministry, God is calling you, some of, some of you here to that. Pastoring a church in some capacity, planting a church maybe. It could be heading to the mission field. I'm excited that people have been coming to me lately, talking to me about these things, and I can't wait to share some of those things with you soon. Maybe it's local missions like school chaplains and, or it's overseas missions like uh, David Collins and Shirley Carlson and others that we support. It might mean something scary like going to Bible college, leaving a comfortable job. If that's you, come and see me so that we can start praying and discerning together. And some, for some of you, it could be giving over your business to God to support his ministry around the globe, financially. What I mean by that is that God has gifted some of you in the area of business to fund his mission. I remember when I was in Toowoomba about eight years ago, I met a man there at a conference who had a zucchini farm, of all things. And one day he felt like God said, you need to tithe the turnover of your business. No, I said turnover. Not profits. Turnover. And he did. And he sends that money to the churches in Toowoomba. I said, well, how's your business going? He said, you would not believe the rate of growth that we have had. It has just gone crazy. He did not tithe the turnover of his business to have a big business and to enrich himself. He did it for God. That was his calling. For some of you, it's in the place where you work or study. That's your mission field. All those around you, God wants you to reflect him to them. That means they see something in you that's different. But why not pray for those co-workers or uni or school friends or family members And invite them to something like Alpha. What if God's calling you to that mission? That there's five people that you know of right now. That may be the task God has asked you to complete. For some of you, God is leading you to serve the needy in this city or perhaps in another place around the world where help is needed, either through the church or, or a care agency or some, something like that. Here's one that came to me that 
I nearly didn't put in the sermon today. Because you'll think that doesn't sort of sit with what you're saying. But for some of you in this season of life, God is asking you to sort out your marriage. And you're thinking, no, that's not a task for God's kingdom. And I would just disagree with you. A strong, faithful, passionate, sacrificial marriage is a sign and wonder of God's goodness to this world. It's time to pull out all the stops and begin the change that's needed. For some of you, it's to teach kids or youth about Jesus. For others, it's to visit people in hospital or prison. For some of you, it's, it's a life that's just called to prayer. God's calling you to be an intercessor, to stand in the gap. You know, those people, they seem to be rare. I think there should be more of them. They pray for you week in, week out. They cry out to God for, for him to move powerfully through the church. They're happy on their knees, praying desperately and earnestly to God. And I think God's calling some of you to be that person. Faith in Jesus is an all-in-life, a task that we're committed to because that's how he did it. That's how Jesus did it. Now, I know this sounds like a sermon with a list of things you need to do to please God, and I honestly don't mean that to be the case. In the end, all of these things come from a desire in our hearts to love God and please him. I said at the beginning that this prayer of Jesus in John 17 was a glimpse into his heart, and in Jesus' heart, there was this just amazing, obvious love and devotion to his Father, and nothing pleased him more than to do his will. When Jesus was about his Father's will, that brought joy into him. That's what he wanted to. That's what satisfied him. And I think it can be the same for us. I want to complete the work God has given me, and I feel an urgency building within me. God is filling his church with gifted and creative people, and he wants us to be passionate about the work he has given us. Now, I know that in this church, the passion we have tends to dwell a lot on the inside. <laughs> and that's okay. But we can tell when the passion for Jesus is there, can't we? We can see it. If the thought of doing God's will doesn't excite you, I ask you to make your first task to rekindle your love for Jesus because it maybe needs to start there. When he returns... Or if before my time on earth is done, I guess I want to be able to say to Jesus the same thing he said in that prayer. And I'll say it again. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. If you want to say that to God one day, I'm with you. I'm with you. Why don't we stand and pray together? as we stand here, if you've got something you want to say
to God that's on your heart, now's the time for you to do that. Alternately, if God is speaking to you, now's the time to listen. So God, we see your passion. Jesus, we see your passion and your zeal. It was the Father first in your life. And you changed the world. And Lord, you've called us to do something similar. So I'm praying this morning, God, that you increase the zeal. You know, if we lack it, God, then we'll start with you and say, please, increase the passion in us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today. May it overflow out of us. May you overflow out of us. Generously hand out your gifts. Empower your church, God. Empower your church to do the task you have put before us. God, I pray that these things aren't just words that we read in our Bible from 2,000 years ago, but we realize them here. You yourself said that. We will do what you have done, if not more. And we hold on to that, God, and we understand. You've got a job for us to do. God, we want to do your will. So this morning, Lord, I think you're calling some people out in this church to do something. I pray, God, that you speak clearly into their hearts. I pray, Lord Jesus, for not just this church, but all the churches in our area, God, that we will change culture for you, that we will reach thousands. (laughs) Lord, we won't do it as lukewarm churches. We'll have lukewarm results. We need you more than anything, God. We sang about it before. I pray, Lord, that, um, that we sang it, uh, meaning it. God, we need you. We need you, Lord, to move a f- like a fresh wind and a fresh fire within the churches, God. Stir us up. Set us on your path. God, we know that things will come against us. We know that Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We pray against him in Jesus' name. We follow you, Jesus, and you had the victory over him. 
And God, we can have that same victory over what he is doing on this earth right now. We can move your kingdom forward in the name of Jesus. And I pray, God, that you will bring that um, power into your church, Lord. God, where there is lukewarmness, I I pray, God, that you'd forgive us for that. But um, we call on you to help us with it, Lord. We need your help. God, I pray that you would um, pour uh, hot water, so to speak, (laughs) that would warm us up, that we would be hot like you've asked us to be. And Lord, that um, we would would be um, useful for your kingdom and your glory. We want to pray just like Jesus did, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to hang around.